welcome to Shoot the Ones, a mixed martial arts podcast with your hosts with the most, and we are pleased to bring you episode 22 of the show. Hi, I'm Dima. And I'm Jenya. What an excellent lineup do we have for you this week. Firstly, we are extremely excited to be back after a week off. Dima and myself will start the episode by going over a few of the fights in Glasgow, Scotland that happened on July 16th, UFC Fight Night 113, Nelson versus Ponzinibbio. Then we take a look into the UFC's first ever trip to Long Island for an exciting UFC on Fox 25, Weedman versus Gaslam card. And then finally, the MMA card that we have all been waiting for, UFC 214, Cormier versus Jones 2, the rematch in Anaheim. Guys, you can catch us on SoundCloud, YouTube, MMAPodcast.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. So let's get right into the show with UFC Fight Night 113. Yeah, Dima, this card in Scotland turned out to be a lot of fun. Uh, We're not going to go over the entire card, but there were a lot of really impressive performances. We will announce a lot of the winners, like Leslie Smith got an impressive win on the prelims, Brett Johns, Danny Henry, uh, Scotland's own. And a slam throw from Glor Bufondo that we haven't seen too much in the UFC before. Yeah, dude, that slam was nasty. I mean, it looked like a choke slam from WWE. Like, he shrugged him off, and uh, his opponent, Charlie Ward, he fell kind of face down, and I believe that knocked him out. Uh, I don't think the follow-up shots were necessary, per se, in that uh, in that regard. Well said. I I haven't seen this slam really before uh, done this way where they're just kind of grappling and he shrugs off, you know, the grappling exchange from Charlie Ward. Charlie Ward has had a rough go at it so far in the UFC. Uh, I'm not sure. I think he in his two fights he's lasted maybe 26 seconds total against the two fellas he's faced. But interesting thing about Galore, uh, you know, coming into this fight, we didn't know a ton about him. I mean, this guy takes... He fought three times in 2010, twice in 2012, once in 2015, and now in 2017. So he's got pretty big time gaps in between his fights. And the only ways that he has lost in his career were, you know, getting a little bit chaotic and DQ to a legal knee. So this is an interesting prospect, and he's only got, you know, two losses that came due to disqualification. Yeah, this guy looks like a beast, and I mean, he came in there and looked like a world beater against Charlie Ward, so I'm going to be excited where he goes next in the UFC. So, Other than that beastly performance, we had Alexandra Pantoja finish Neil Siri in the third round, uh, rear naked choke. Danny Roberts secured a victory over Bobby Nash in the second round via KO punches, which was a pretty uh, impressive victory there. And um, then the main card began. The Fox Sports won. Yeah, they started the card off with a really impressive performance from American Kickbox Academy's own Justin Willis, who seemed to be a pretty good heavyweight, moved around well, you know. And the the, the crazy thing, Dima, is he's a heavyweight limit guy. He's got a cut to heavyweight, you know. He's not, he's not a small heavyweight by any means. And I was impressed with the way he was able to move around in there. After that, uh, Khalil Roundtree seemed to have a huge speed advantage in a fight that had a lot of bad blood coming into it, and he got the win as predicted here on Shoot the Ones. You know, I wanted to ask you about that. It looked like there was some bad blood because, you know, uh, 
yeah, he was staring at him after he finished them and sh shit like that. It looked like there was some tension. But what was the bad blood? I, I, I wasn't aware of I what their beef was coming in. I'm not, I think a lot of it came from the hostile treatment he may have gotten in Scotland. And I think most of the beef came from the weigh-ins. Uh, like, and I guess some internet stuff that Craig has said. But he was kind of disrespectful of Roundtree and the media, I believe, and, and at the weigh-ins. And Roundtree just, you know, held it in and was able to take it out at the fight. I, I was really impressed with the way Khalil moved. Uh, all, all the, you know, side antics aside, you know, all, off of the fight. I was really impressed with the way he was able to move and get in there. And his takedown defense isn't beating him in fights anymore. Whereas before, if he was fighting anybody with the slightest bit of wrestling, you're like, oh, shit, it's going to be a tough night for, for Khalil. But, you know, he's getting getting good training, and you could tell he's getting those skills up. And he looked like a finisher there. I mean, those hammer fists were thing of beauty. Like, that that was a glorious finish. And then after he knocked him out, he stood up and looked him in the eyes, which was uh, which was a scary fucking thing. Yeah. Did you notice uh, the shorts he was rocking? No. He was rocking yellow shorts, which is weird because they typically make you wear your country shorts. And uh, Yellow is kind of known for Anderson Silva. You know, Khalil and Anderson have trained together, are friends. I don't know if that had anything to do with him being able to wear the yellow shorts, but it is an interesting storyline. <laughs> I wasn't aware of any of that, but cool. Moving ahead, we saw a unanimous decision win. Jack Marshman over Ryan Janes. I didn't um, catch this fight. So I was going to ask, do you, do you have anything to uh, to add about this? I watched this fight. I was a little bit disappointed in the winner, uh, Jack Marshman. He was the biggest favorite on the card, if I'm not mistaken. And it just wasn't that impressive a victory, man. It really was a, it was a unanimous decision, but it really could have gone either way, man. Jans had a really strong second and third round. It really came on strong. I, I, I expected more out of Jack Marshman in that fight, and it kind of shows me where he's at in that division, to be honest with you. Gotcha. But the next one I did happen to catch, and it was a lot more impressive than this fight we just talked about. That's true, man, and a tough way for Stevie Ray to go out in his hometown. But for Paul Felder, man, he, he's a wicked uh, lightweight there. He's somebody to re be reckoned with. Yeah, wicked elbows, man. That was the way he uh, chose to end this fight, and... Yeah, man, he's making a good case for himself. Yeah, definitely. I think a uh, top five fight in the near future is very possible. Maybe Edson Barbosa or somebody like that. Fair enough. And it would be a match I would like to see. Yeah, him and Barbosa would actually be a rematch. I know he was beaten by Barbosa in a really back and forth match when he first entered the UFC. And I would definitely like to see that fight again. Yeah, because I, th I think he's grown since then. I agree, man. He's, he looked damn good in his last two. He seems to be getting his distance down better. I, I think he's really somebody to be reckoned with in that lightweight division. And moving right ahead, Cynthia Calvillo is also somebody to be reckoned with in uh, the women's It's the 125-pound division, right? It's the 115, but oh, they fought yeah. at a catchweight because JoJo couldn't make the weight. She yeah. came in at 118. Yeah, Joanne Calderwood did come in overweight, Dima, and, you know, it was kind of a disappointing weekend overall for her. She wasn't really able to show her skills the way that, you know, she expected to because Cynthia Calvillo was a real scrappy competitor in there and made the fight awkward for her. This was 
a little bit slower paced fight than most people would have expected, but but I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, I think Cynthia was you know a step ahead of her throughout the majority of the fight. I think she was a little bit quicker on her feet, and you know a couple of interesting times there were they they threw almost the same strikes at each other, mm-hmm. namely the spinning uh, back elbow they threw and almost landed on each other at the same time. In the main event of the night, Santiago Ponzinibbio defeats Gunnar Nelson in the very first round knockout. Some could say stoppage. I mean, it was a little bit weird at first. It looked legit to me in the very beginning. It, it looked like he knocked him out. But as a lot of us went back and saw the screenshots, the GIFs, the, the videos, there was um, couple, a little bit of foul play at hand. Yeah, I noticed the same stuff when I was reviewing the tape. Uh, you know, when it, when the first time it played around, I also thought that uh, you know it was just a clean knockout, and I didn't see any kind of foul play. But there were pictures posted online of the fingers and the eye, and you could kind of when you slow down the replay, you could definitely tell that it affected the fight. And you got to realize we're watching on a television. These guys are four feet away from the fighters, like supposed to be staring right at them. You should see eye poke. I mean, I know there's a lot to pay attention to in there, though. Yeah, and I mean, some of the strikes are lightning fast, too. And in the heat of the moment, hard to tell. But let's so, let's talk about this fight a little bit, man. Gunnar Nelson was having some success in there. Like, he it was a little bit surprised at first that he was beating up Santiago on the feet and was able to rock him twice before, you know, being finished himself. It was kind of ironic in the exchange on the second time that he hurt Ponzinibbio. Yep. Ponzinibbio reached out and kind of pawed him in the eye. That was the first time, and it really changed momentum of the fight. Yep, and then he mounted an offense of his own since then because Goner began kind of, uh, you know, wiping his eye and kind mm-hmm. of on the back, uh, backing up from that point, and, you know, that's where the tables turned, and... Yeah, that kind of, you know, messes up the experience. You know, I was really, like, impressed by Ponzinibbio after this performance, but the whole uh, fingers in the eye thing kind of, uh, you know... It It makes you wonder a little bit, like, what what would the fight would have been without the the fingers in the eye? Yeah, it wasn't a fully clean knockout, like you said. I mean, you know, props to him for taking advantage of the situation and, you know, finishing the fight. And persevering the trouble that Garner put him through, but hey, uh, that that was that was a little bit uh, dirty. Yeah, the, you got to give it up to the power of him too. That was that was pretty impressive. His power and being able to get Gunner out of there and take advantage of the situation. You know, you 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 fight until the referee tells you to stop. And Santiago went in there and did his job. But good card, man. It wasn't you know the most exciting of cards this year. But we had some pretty exciting finishes on there and, you know, some good prospects to look out for in the future. I wasn't disappointed. I mean, I did not catch a lot of the fights because uh, my mom's birthday. We uh, took her out and had a nice nice little outing. But I did catch most of the fights afterwards, and this was this was a solid card. I agree, man. And I won't be surprised if, like, in a year or two, you hear about a lot of these guys that were on the undercard of this, this card right here. And you hear big things from them, you know, guys that are future contenders in their respective divisions. Indeed. It's uh, kind of a thing we come to expect from these low-key cards. But nonetheless, we are going to take a short break and come back to talk about the UFC on Fox 25 card, Weidman versus Gastelum. 
Hey, Shoot the Ones listeners. Are you on Facebook? Shoot the Ones is. Join the ever-growing Shoot the Ones Facebook page, which is already over 4,000 strong. And now, enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back, fellow fight fans. Real quick, I want to give props to Zhenya for doing a great job on our Facebook page. And next on our agenda, we're going to talk UFC on Fox 25, Whiteman versus Gastelum. Thanks for that, Dima. This was a pretty good card despite its lower ratings, uh, you know, the day after for the day after ratings. And they were the lowest ones for UFC on Fox ever. So despite it being a pretty good lineup and a pretty good card overall to watch, uh, it didn't do so well. well. I guess you can't blame Demetrius Johnson now for having low ratings on Fox. Well, the the final ratings aren't in, but if it keeps going, if it keeps trending in this direction, when they get their final ratings, it's probably going to be the lowest one beating Demetrius Johnson versus Wilson Hayes. Well, despite the ratings, the card itself was actually pretty good, and the main event was great. I agree, man. We had some back and forth in the main event. Um, We were going to talk about the main card. We were also just going to announce some of the winners we were impressed with. Is that correct? Yeah, we'll really quickly skim through the prelim card on UFC Fight Pass. Chris Wade defeats Frankie Perez via unanimous decision. Shane Burgess defeats Garofredo Pepe. Unanimous decision as well. In heavyweight division, Junior Albini defeats Timothy Johnson in the very first round via TKO punches. That's correct. Uh, I was really impressed with uh, Burgos. Uh, that Burgos got Fredo Pepe fight was just excellent back and forth fight. Well, not so much back and forth. Shane Burgos was getting the better of him every round, but got Fredo, you know, bit down on his mouthpiece and he just kept bringing offense himself, which made it a really interesting fight. And Shane Burgos is a good, confident prospect, you know, very good boxing. And Junior Albini was also very impressive out of those fights he named. Hey, Jenny, I also thought Marlon Vera picked up a pretty impressive win over Brian Kelleher in the very first round. That armbar was pretty slick. Yeah, it was slick and unexpected. Marlon Vera is on a nice little win streak now, you know. He got a win over Brad Pick in his last fight. Now Brian Kelleher, and this was a fight where he came in as an underdog, Dima. He came in as a plus-175 underdog to Brian Kelleher, probably off of the the strength of Kelleher's win over Yuri Alcantara in his prior fight, in his UFC debut, rather. So that may be why people were behind Brian Kelleher so, so much, but this was an impressive how he snatched the arm. and Indeed. I mean, once he got the arm, he never let go of it, and his int- his technique was impressive. Other than that, we had Jeremy Kennedy defeat Kyle Bociak via unanimous decision. You know, kind of worksman decision victory for Jeremy there. Uh, he kind of grinded his opponent down and got the victory there. Yeah, that's basically how I was going to describe it. Just a workmanlike effort, you know. And he definitely showed that he was the better fighter than Jer- than Kyle Bociak. Jumping into the preliminary card on Fox, Chase Sherman defeats Damian Grabowski by unanimous decision in a fight that he looked really good. Yeah, man, the Vanilla Gorilla 
backs up the hype that's uh, slowly building up around him. Following Chase Sherman's unanimous decision victory, Alex Oliveira came through as the underdog, as well as Eric Anderson, two really vicious knockout performances. Yeah, man, we were treated to some flashy knockouts in the back-to-back fights. First came the second round uh, knockout, Alex Oliveira over Ryan LaFleur, and then the Eric Anders was able to secure a first round knockout over uh, Rafael Natal, a quality opponent. I was really impressed with both of these uh, wins for different reasons. Oliveira came in as an underdog, and Ryan LaFleur is a tough opponent, man. And it was kind of odd, Dima, during the broadcast. Brian Stan was real big, real, excuse me, he was real strong on Alex Oliveira joking around a little bit too much in, in the octagon. And Dominic Cruz was like, hey, man, that's his style, you know, let, let him do him, and it seems to work for him. And shortly after, man, he got that brutal knockout punch. Yeah, he was uh, very patient with it, and it definitely paid off in the end. I agree, and Eric Anders, what I found interesting about him, and he's a middleweight, former LFA champ at middleweight, Eric Anders, and also former Alabama linebacker on their 2009 national championship team. So this is a pretty big athlete, Dima, and he came in, you know, with a lot of hype to his name, fighting already an established guy in Rafael Natal. And he was able to knock him out and in pretty impressive fashion. You are correct. This improves his record to 9-0. and zero. He remains undefeated. And, yeah, you know, this kid looks really impressive. His debut in the UFC, you know, is, you could say, almost as good as uh, Justin Gagey. Yeah, it was really impressive, man. A lot of guys have been making impressive debuts recently. Uh, Justin Willis on that last card we talked about on this one, Eric Anders. What I find surprising about this is he's a rare breed athlete, man. How many other guys can you name in the UFC that have a national championship in college sports? Much less football. Uh, None that I can think of. Impressive athlete nonetheless, and in the final preliminary fight, Ilyusu Zaleski Dos Santos defeated hometown Lyman Good in a split decision, which I thought was awarded to the right guy. Yeah, it was a good fight. It was real close and a split decision. Well, shit, was it a split decision? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 230-27s and a 28-29. For sure, man. Zaleski Dos Santos and Lehman Good was a pretty close fight, and I, be- I believe it came to a split decision, and Zaleski was able to get the nod from the judges that way, but it was really competitive. I agree, man. These are both former champions of other organizations. I believe Lehman Good was a champion at Bellator at one point, and Zaleski Dos Santos was, uh, <laughs> was the champion of Jungle Fight. So Battle of former champions in uh, <clears throat> different organizations. Good fight to end the preliminary card off. Indeed. Let's move into the main card on Fox with the opener in Bantamweight division. Always impressive. Jimmy Rivera defeats Thomas Almeida via unanimous decision. Yeah. Uh, precursor, man. I didn't do besides this one fight. 
My predictions were a little bit off on this main card. I was one of four, and that, that's rare for me. But, you know, that, that kind of also shows what I enjoy about the sport. So, man, it's, it's never very predictable. It's always You'll always get some surprises in there, and there were surely some surprises in this main card. I don't think Jimmy Rivera over Thomas Almeida was one of those, Dima. I think Jimmy Rivera, you know, this is 20 fights in a row he's won now. And he's proven to be a really impressive uh striker grappler overall prospect at featherweight yeah man he continues to look impressive and a lot of people are forgetting he's 20 and zero you can't sleep on that that and some of the guys he's beat man uriah uriah faber in there and he he beat him pretty soundly for sure and rightfully so he goes on in the end after an impressive win over thomas almeida he goes on and makes call out to you know the division's top contenders i think it it's his time and he is calling for it yeah and with his style of boxing i imagine him to be a problem for any of the guys in that division i don't think he necessarily wins against all of those guys but i think he can even give cody garbrandt you know some issues with his style of striking let's just go back he called out cody tj called out all the he guys called out the dominic cruz who was funny enough he was commentating at the time. Yeah, and he told him, he he said, he's like, hey, man, it's a respect thing. And then Dominic Cruz is like, yeah, I know you respect me. <laughs> Classy as always, Dominic Cruz on the mic. But it was an interesting call out. And I think it's time for him being 20 and 0. He's, he's fought the who's who. And I think this would be a really good match for Cruz uh, coming back after, you know, if he doesn't get to fight for the belt you know, um, anytime soon if they're going to run the TJ-Cody match. I think this is a good fight for him to kind of get back on, to get back in there. I agree. That's the proper progression, I think, for him. Uh, I wasn't too disappointed with Almeida's performance. What I appreciated about the Brazilian was, you know, he was losing a lot of the exchanges, but he kept coming forward, man. He's He's the type of guy that's always in a fight, you know, because he's always, I mean, Jimmy Rivera did some really wise things, you know, when Almeida would be picking up momentum, he would clinch him up, and you could tell Rivera won a lot by experience in this fight. Yeah, man, hard of a champion. Thomas Almeida, as he was losing the exchanges, but like you say, he did not stop coming forward, and he didn't quit. He continued fighting. I agree, and uh, after that, we had another war in the light heavyweight division, Gian Volante took on Patrick Cummins and lost via split decision. Yeah, this was a back and forth fight. It's just for what I remember of it, Gian had a really, really good opening round, and he did a lot of damage to Patrick Cummins aside from the accidental headbutt, which caused a lot of blood there. Um, the tide started to turn uh, towards uh, in in Patrick's coming favor for the duration of the fight going from second round and forward. But, uh, you know, it was really, really close. Uh, Gian continued landing even though at a slower pace. But I think Patrick Cummings was able to, you know, implement his game better. I agree, man. It's really frustrating for me to watch Gian uh, fight because you're always like, man, I feel like he could do better. You know, and then the guys that he's not really supposed to beat, he sometimes gets by and, like, has those amazing performances. 
But in this fight, you know, Patrick Cummins kind of wanted it more. And like you said, he was able to come back in the second and third round. And this is two fights in a row where he's done that now. He fought Jan Blockowitz the last fight, got, you know, almost 10-8 in the first round. And he came back in the second and third rounds to win that fight. And he did it against again versus Gian Vellante. It was an impressive showing from Patrick Cummins, who proves that he's always in a fight. You know, he's definitely worked on a couple things, like his head movement looked better in this fight. But like I said, I, I scored the fight for Gian, and I, I even texted you afterwards. I said, man, what, the only judge that agrees with you is Sal D'Amato, man. Maybe your judging is a little bit off, so maybe I was off, but I I did I did hand the victory to Gian myself. I I thought he won the second and third round. I think or not second and third round. Excuse first me, and third. first and third. I, yeah, I, I, I got com- you. And, and in the third round, he did have some success in landing. I think it just came at a lot slower pace, and he wasn't able to land as hard. I think the issue was, you know, he really really pursued the knockout in the first. He smelled the blood and. He he really started throwing hard there, trying to take Patrick Cummings out, and um, yeah, going forward after that, you know, he he was just unable to throw as fast and as hard because you know he's tired. Yeah, I I think like in hindsight after this fight, man, they were really matched up well. This was a good fight, like to watch. But it also is for their trainers and for us as viewers and analyzers, people that analyze fights, it doesn't look good for their prospects of how they match up in that division. Either guy. So it- Versus the top. Top guys are light heavyweight. I, I, the top 10, I think either guy is going to struggle handily. So you say neither of them look good here. <laughs> no. I I think it was a good fight for us fans. All right, fair enough. But they got skills that they can lean towards. Like Patrick Cummings, you know, he's got the heart of a champion. He's going to get beat up for three rounds in there and go after you. And Guillaume Vellante. That's the problem with light heavyweight division. I mean, outside of DC and Jones, man, these are the guys who get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Moving into the next fight, which was the co-main event of the night, Darren Elkins defeats Dennis Bermudez via split decision. This was another good fight and another decision that I scored differently than most fans, but I'm all right with this. I'm more okay with this decision because I was impressed by a lot of things Darren Elkins did in there, actually. I was impressed with, one, his uh, wrestling. I I thought Bermudez was going to be a better wrestler than him in in the octagon. And the second thing, and this is what I was most impressed with him, is for every time, did you notice this, Dima? Every time Bermudez tried to wrestle, uh, Darren Elkins had an answer by the way of a guillotine. And what that guillotine did was it put a lot of ideas in Bermudez's head. Like, hey, maybe I don't need to be going for this takedown. Or, whoa, he, he's got a tight guillotine. I got to watch out for that. Yep, he definitely made him hesitant. And the fact that he was threatening with it from very, very early on, Dennis Bermudez kind of stopped the takedown attempts so much going <clears throat> towards the second half of the fight. So that was very effective. 
and man, Darren Elkins looked really impressive in this fight. I'm I'm actually really really surprised on how good he looked. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised. I mean, this is five victories in a row for him. Did did you know that? Well, that last one, he went through a war with Mirsak Bektik, and to be fair, he kind of had his ass whooped for. I've picked him to lose every time. It, it, like four of the last five, I'm pretty sure I've picked him to lose. But what I've learned about Darren Elkins is. At first, I thought it was just grit. He was getting by off of pure grit. He was more gritty than the other guys, and which is the case a lot of times. He is more gritty than the guy he's going against. But he's got some skills, man, especially in the grappling department. Like exactly what, what he showed with with the with the guillotine choke and being able to distract Bermudez with it showed a savvy, you know, like a veteran savvy in there that is hard to find in that division. Yeah, a level of experience, and a lot of people initially thought Dennis Bermudez would be a superior wrestler, which, you know, where my surprise comes from, you know, I, I did not expect him to be able to defend the wrestling so well in the initial stages of the fight, and as fight progressed, he started imposing his own wrestling and secure, was able to secure several takedowns, as well as quickly get up from, you know, Dennis Bermudez's own takedowns and attempts. Agreed, man. And that five-fight win streak, he was the underdog in four of those fights, I believe. Uh, the only fight that he was and I think he started with uh, Robert Whitford. Then he's got a win over Chaz Skelly, Godofredo Pepe, Mirsad Bektich, and Dennis Bermudez. And you're right, man. He comes in as the underdog in all of these fights, but he doesn't care about all that. He he comes there to win, and he, he's got, like, like we talked about, a level of grit and a level of skill that back that grit you know yeah man so the story of darren elkins rise continues and we're excited to see where he goes from here definitely puts an exclamation point in that co-main maybe a fight with cub swanson would be an interesting one Indeed. I mean, I don't think Cobb has anything lined up ever since he fought Artem Lobov. And finally, the main event of UFC Fox 25, Chris Weidman defeats Kelvin Gaslam via submission arm triangle in the third round. Yeah, man, it was an impressive fight. Back and forth, good action. Chris Weidman had an impressive showing. He defeat, able to secure a choke and defeat Kevin Gesselum in the very third round. He overcomes a knockdown in the first round. It was, it was like textbook Chris Weidman, man. It was good to see him come back. I agree. By comeback, Chris Weidman, is, he would, this would have been four losses in a row had he lost to Kelvin Gaslam. So he, he was a guy on a mission, you know. He was coming off of three straight losses. Granted, the circumstances on all those are different, and if we're being honest with ourselves, Chris Weidman might be the best fighter to have ever lost three fights in a row in the history of fighting. So with, with all that in account, he was on a three-fight losing streak. And it made the fight interesting, um, but he was able to impose his size on Kelvin a lot. Um, that was the major story of the fight. I was surprised, as you said, Kelvin got that, you know, strong punch off at the end of the round. And maybe if he would have landed a little bit earlier, 
in the first round, he would have had more time to finish him. But it seemed like Weidman was able to, even on that punch, he was able to react pretty well off of it and come back into the wrestling again. What I was most impressed with Chris Weidman was mostly his wrestling and his jiu-jitsu prowess. Yeah, he, you know, he was sh- he shook that punch in, uh, in the first round off pretty well. He continued, he imposed the size, you know, which was the difference of the size, you know, played a ma- major factor in this fight. And, you know, to the point of Kevin Gastelum post-fight, he, he was saying he's certainly looking at going back to welterweight after, after this. And, you know, this was kind of an eye-opener for him. As Dominic said, this is going to be a, a real show of, of whether Kevin belongs here or not. Now, with, despite the result, he looked good in there. He was able to land a good shot. But ultimately, man, Wyman looked great in this fight. And, you know, even Sarah was in there bragging about how uh, his fighter looked like superhuman. So, you know, it's good to see Wyman back. I agree, and you know, I think we're going to see more of Kelvin. He already uh, wrote a letter to the UFC formally asking to move back down to welterweight. I don't think this is a newly discovered fear of his. I I think he kind of knew the whole time when he ran into a guy like Weidman or Rockhold or even Romero that the size discrepancy was going to play a role, you know. And kind of like Brian Stan said prior to the fight, typically the the when the skill sets are equal, the bigger guy typically wins. And Kelvin was getting by off of a speed advantage, and he's he's also a beast wrestler. But Chris Weidman, you know, he was able to use his size and the wrestling to still get some takedowns on Kelvin Gaslam, who had a really impressive game of getting back up. He was able to stand up every time pretty impressively. And th- this might be a little bit of a precursor when other former middle welterweights fight, uh, like Robert Whitaker. You know, we'll see how he does. But I think he's more of a guy that's naturally built for this middleweight weight class than Kelvin Gaslam, who's much shorter than most everybody in the division. Yeah, just I wanted to highlight kind of what we were talking about earlier: the size discrepancy between one eighty and one. 70 well 185 and 170 is um pretty large and you know it definitely shows it so i do think calvin gastelum is a better fit at the welterweight division you know he his skills definitely he he's going to be a tougher fight you know his body his frame for that division and for him to Fight at middleweight, he's a little bit of a disadvantage at when it, he comes to fighting uh, taller and ranger opponents. So, yeah, I think logically it's the right move. Gaslam's already had a pretty decent performance against Woodley, who's the champion over there at welterweight. And if you remember that fight, Gaslam kind of had a bad night. And one of the judges still handed him the decision, you know, a split decision win for Tyron Woodley. But one judge, even on a bad night for Kelvin, still thought he won that fight. <coughs> so I, I do think he's going to go down to welterweight, and if he's allowed to do so, he's going to be an immediate, uh, he's going to be an immediate prospect in that division. 
Agreed. I don't think this loss is going to really bring him down or anything. He did look good in that fight, particularly the first round, like we said. And he handled this L like like a champion with a lot of class and you know respect. He went out there in front of the... Uh, panel of journalists answered everybody's questions and you know he just you know presented himself really classy i agree and big win for weidman in his hometown you know he had his whole family there got them in the ring moving on i would like to see them face possibly the winner of the newly announced dave branch versus luke rockhold fight that would make a lot of sense this i i'm actually thinking about it now i'm on board with it I mean, there's some other fights you can make with Weidman. You can have a rematch, Yoel. But I, I think a rematch versus Luke is probably the fight I, I most want to see as a fan. Yeah, it kind of builds that it builds up to that, assuming Rockhold can get past David Branch. And if I had to make a prediction, I would probably, you know, lean towards Luke. Yeah, I'm a big Dave Branch fan, but I, I highly favor Luke in that fight. I think his grappling is a lot better. Uh, it's not better than Dave Branch's, but that's Dave Branch's strongest point is his grappling. Yeah, I think that's a fight that a lot of fight fans want to see, Dima. Speaking of fights that fans want to see, we are a week away from seeing what is, I build it as the summer slam of the UFC. Coming up a week from now is UFC 214, featuring three title fights, and a shit ton of other fights that we as fans have been looking forward to and are going to be excited to talk about after this short break. show from shoot the ones podcast where we discuss a variety of topics in a more laid-back live chat format we can be found on the same youtube channel as our show or playstation 4 if you're a gamer rise and shine in the mornings with dim on mondays and wednesdays This is a heck of a card that on paper is the best that the UFC has all all year. And the promo packages for the Cormier Jones fight just keep building our anticipation for what's already an excellent fight. Speaking of the promos for that fight, did you catch the interview they had at the end of the last card that we just talked about? The UFC on Fox? Yeah, I did. These guys don't like each other at all. Not at all. Yeah, John Jones, I think the catch line from that one coming from his end was, fuck DC. And Daniel Cormier, just he, he's not a big fan of John Jones. I don't think they, they're ever going to be friends even after this fight. This, this is, is real beef. This is, exactly, this is some legit tension. This is some legit um, bad blood between the two. And this is one of the aspects, is one of the reasons as to why I'm excited to see this fight. There is legit 
bad blood between the two and it's not manufactured like a lot of the stuff these days. No, it's not. And since we're so excited about that fight, let, let's start with that one. Let, let's start with that one and go down. Go top to bottom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man, DC, John Jones. <sighs> My early prediction is, you know, John Jones got DC's number. You know, this is why I think initially, but there's a couple of factors, okay? So, John Jones hasn't looked particularly the best after long layoffs, and this is one of the cases where he come in, where he's coming back after a long layoff. You know, he's not getting any younger, and something, you know, a factor maybe, if you want to play the devil's advocate. Yeah, he, he did struggle in his comeback versus OSP, but I'm really excited about this fight, D-Man. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because without John Jones, Daniel Cormier would be maybe the best light heavyweight of all time. But you have John Jones in the picture. And this is a really special time for us as fans. Like, you don't typically get to see the number one and number two guy of all time face off two, three times in a division. You kind of saw it with Kane, JDS, before the power shift of that heavyweight started happening. But this is a little bit new to light heavyweight, and these are by far the two best guys, and they've proven to be by far the two best guys. And what, you know, what bothers me a little bit about this and why, like, I want Daniel Cormier to win, and that's why it bothers me, I guess. But um, like you said, man, John Jones was so dominant in that first fight. It wasn't John Jones' toughest fight. I thought he won four rounds in that fight. And Daniel Cormier, I do see how he could win this upcoming fight, but it's going to be tough, man. John Jones, he's a tough opponent for anybody. And maybe the best uh, prospect in MMA history. Yeah, I mean, agreed. There's so many angles as to why this is, as to... Yeah, man, agreed. I mean, there's so many angles as to why this fight is so intriguing. This is the redemption story of John Jones, the former champion, possibly one of the greatest fighters to ever fight, that has made a lot of mistakes and ha- has paid the heavy price by being stripped of his belt. On the other hand, this is the clear fight between the one and two of the division. In one hand, you have one of the greatest champions in the division, and on the other hand, you have a fighter coming in from another division in which he did really, really good at, himself a champion in several different organizations, Olympic background, pretty much flawless record, and his only loss is to this guy who is, you know of questionable character outside of Octagon, and you can tell this is really bothering Daniel Cormier. So, there, that's the other angle. I mean, I can go on about this fight, the build-up itself, and for us to see a rematch between the two, um, this is this is going to undoubtedly make 214 probably the best card of the year. What I like to call the SummerSlam. To an extent... These are both their match. You know, Daniel Cormier is John Jones' match, and vice versa. They don't have a tougher fight out there for him, in my opinion. Maybe Gus. But other than that, not not really, man. And 
this is the fight I want to see at light heavyweight, and we we get to see it at UFC 214. Yes, sir. Moving into the next highly anticipated championship bout, this time at the welterweight division, Tyron Woodley is going to fight Damian Maya. Yeah, you know what's really cool, and we talked a little bit about this off air, but um, every fight that we're going to talk about on this card, we've already previewed on other Shoot the Ones episodes. That's how excellent. That that just shows that this is really a good card, you know, because when we make fight announcements, they're few and far between. I don't even think we had one on this episode. So it's a re- pretty big fight if we're going to announce it on our show. That is true. Every single fight has either been part of the fight announcement or a news story or something big and every single one of these fights is definitely going to be have title ramifications and um, you know a lot of meaning for each division in question yeah not only title ramifications but some titles might be changing hands for sure and do you think Damian Maia he's he's coming in as the underdog against Tyron Woodley and He's a guy who's, you know, he's had a, attempts at championship fight before and came up short versus Anderson Silva. But since then, man, he's grown his game. He's become the best at using jiu-jitsu in MMA. He brushed up his stand-up skills. He has, but he doesn't really have to use it because he's able to throw guys into his world. But he's taking on a tough test here in Tyron Woodley. Yeah, man. I mean, Tyrone is the champion for a reason. And this is, you know, stylistically, this is probably the most interesting matchup for me. I mean, you have your old school wrestler boxer type and you have the classical, you know, as we mentioned before, the Royce Gracie 2.0 of the modern day MMA era. I mean, this guy is the highest possible level of jiu-jitsu in MMA that you can think of. So... Yeah, man, I'm I'm excited about this fight. If John Jones and DC were were not fighting on this card, this would probably be like the most exciting matchup for me here. Yeah, I respect Damian Maya a ton because not only does he take guys into his world, but like you said, he's that highest level of jujitsu. But not there's been guys that are really good at jujitsu that suck at MMA, but he transferred the game into MMA. That's just a nasty game for MMA. However, Tyron Woodley has transferred his wrestling game and just his overall power striking game into MMA quite flawlessly, man. He's had a lot of success winning the title from Robbie Lawler, defending the title twice versus Steven Wonderboy now. And I remember talking to Ricky Rainey about this fight, and you did as well. He kind of said that, you know, Tyron Woodley, he, he expects him to be able to stay on his feet and pick Damian Maya apart, which is also a very real possibility of this fight. I, I could see either happening. Well, there's a few factors. He's going to be harder to take down than a lot of people in the division. He himself being a high-level wrestler, uh, as well as being short and stocky, the, the kind mm-hmm. of body frame that's really difficult to deal with if you're trying to get somebody down. It's definitely going to play a factor. I think mix that in with his explosive stand-up ability, that creates a really dangerous fight for Damian Maya. Who's like a backpack when he gets a hold of you. Exactly. So many backpack jokes floating around. It's not <laughs> even funny. 
But we we previewed the heck out of this fight, man. I think it's a good fight. I'm leaning towards Tyrone Woodley as the winner myself as well. But I, I look at it as a 50-50 fight. I'm, hey, I'm cheering for Damian Maya, but if I had to bet, and I, you know, I probably will be betting. Hey, man, Tyron Woodley, you can't count that guy out. I think his last two fights against Wonder Boy left kind of a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth. But a lot of people he fought smart. He fought safe and smart. Yeah, I mean, once you get to a championship level, I mean, a lot of people kind of start playing a little bit smarter because you're getting completely different money as a champion. So, you know, I, I can't get mad at him. But you, you are, what I'm trying to say is you, you got to remember his accolades and, and his accomplishments before the two fights. I mean, he knocked mm-hmm. out the guy who was at the top of the world in that division, that being Robbie Lawler, who's also fighting on this card. Yeah, which we'll talk about after. Uh, we talk about the women's featherweight match with Cyborg versus Tanya Evander. God damn, I'm excited about all these fights so much. But j- just to... Uh, f- finish up on T. Wood and Damian Maya. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were done. Well, we're pretty much done. I mean, fuck it. I mean, I've I've said everything I w- I wanted to say in earlier episodes and now. So, yeah, man. Other than I'm super fucking excited for for this fight. Yeah. After Woodley and Maya go for the welterweight title, Cyborg takes on Tanya Evinger for the women's featherweight title. Hell yeah, it's good to see Cyborg finally fighting for the belt in the UFC, man. Yeah, I'm excited about this, and, you know, she deserved it. They they made the division for her to originally fight in it, and the whole Jermaine Duranime thing happened, and she has vacated that title since. This will be for the women's featherweight title. She wasn't, she didn't vacate the title, she was stripped because she refused to fight Cyborg. But that aside, yeah, that that division has kind of been on a uh, on the roller coaster, kind of a crazy ride. But it's good to see that she's finally getting that title belt. Like you said, she the division was made for her, and you know, it's also good to see Tanya Avenger was able to um, step in as a as an opponent because, man, a lot of people last minute they kind of get hesitant about fighting Cyborg. You know how that goes. Yeah, and I know for, you know, our loyal Shoot the Ones listeners that this might be a little bit regurgitation. We've talked about it before, but I I think Tanya Evinger, you know, I don't think that she's got much of a chance to win here, but I do think that she's a tough opponent for Cyborg. I see ways that she could potentially win the fight, and one being her veteran savvy and her grappling grit. Just like Darren Elkins was able to show, you know, Tanya Evinger has that same kind of style. I think Cyborg with the speed, power, and also having pretty good jiu-jitsu herself, I think that she's a tough fight for any female in in this world. I think it's been written, man. I think this is Cyborg's night. I think she was meant to come and become the champion at this weight class. It's been long overdue. Uh, it's going to be tough for Tanya to, um, you know, go against all of that. Yeah, and as I said to you prior, or as I said prior to me handing it over to you, I don't think there's a woman in the world that beats Cyborg. But I do like this fight. I think Tanya Evinger is a, is a good fight for her. Indeed. 
Moving into the next fight, Robbie Lawler is going to fight Donald Cerrone in a bout that was originally scheduled for the UFC 213 card, but was uh, moved. Unfortunately, Donald had a couple of in injuries and, uh, well, he had a bunch of shit going wrong. But good to see him recover, and he's finally going to be fighting a week from now against arguably one of the toughest welterweight fighters on the planet, Robbie Lawler. I agree, man. This fight is great for a lot of reasons, uh, especially for the fans. Dima, I did have a question. Um, was this the co-main event of that 213 card, or do you remember? Or was it just on the main card as as is this one? I think it was the co-main event, to be I to think be fair. so as well. So, it, you know, it got a little demotion on a card with three title fights. It's right underneath there. So I guess it's the co-main to the three title fights. But it's, it's just a regular main, main card fight here with Robbie Lawler versus Donald Cerrone. I'm excited, man. These are two guys I like to stand and trade. And when that happens, anything can happen, man. I, I can see either one of these guys turning each other's lights out. I think both of them have the power to do so. It's really going to be who's landing. And I, I, I think personally, I favor Robbie Lawler slightly in this due to his style of punching. But you never know, man. Donald Cerrone can come in there and throw something Robbie's not expecting, a kick or something. I don't know, man. This fight is kind of a wild card for me because there's a couple of reasons. Both guys hasn't haven't fought for a while. So there is this... Um, room for guys to come back and look a lot better you know they healed off of their injuries they had this extra time i believe this is robbie lawler's first fight back since he fought tyron woodley for the belt am i correct yes you are correct interesting side note these guys are both coming off of losses to the top three guys in that division you know uh, tyron woodley as you stated and for donald cerrone it was against jorge masvidal yeah, before that, Donald was super busy, and, you know, this was the break he needed after, you know, accumulating so many fights and so many injuries. So, Donald, you know, he too is coming in a little bit, well, he did have Both are some coming. shit going down, you know, last month as to why we didn't see this fight happen on 213. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is they're going to be healthy coming into this fight which is going to be good but it also kind of makes it unpredictable i agree and to your point of being healthy both of them got knocked out in their last fight in pretty brutal fashion so maybe the time off could benefit both of them exactly but either way i'm expecting a war and if it lasts three rounds it's getting fight of the night yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> the last guys. three rounds, like I, I don't see it happening, but it's good fight of the night if that happens. Yo, for sure. I mean, both guys have such fan friendly styles, and you know, Robbie's a complete berserker. You know, as we saw his legendary fight against Rory McDonald. You know, probably one of the best fights of all time. There, uh, dude is a complete savage. He keeps you know pushing forward. He's as tough as ever. If you if you don't knock him out, he's he's not going anywhere. So that's what he brings to the table. You know, Cowboy on the other hand, you know he's got a variety of striking techniques which 
makes him dangerous in his own regard. And I think he's going to pose a lot of challenges for Robbie there. I think he's going to be a ranger. And he does have a diversity of strikes, which, you know, isn't Robbie's forte. Robbie likes to, you know, do bread and butter stuff, kind of like, you know, coming in with the with, with the hooks, you know, that kind of stuff. He likes to brawl. So Yeah, well, Robbie Lawler is more of a boxing-style fighter. Exactly. He's got a very good boxing base. Donald Cerrone is interesting, man. People sleep on his jiu-jitsu. He's actually really nasty on the ground. He's got really good ground skills. And fantastic kickboxing to add on top. So, And then secondly, he's got the Muay Thai kickboxing game, which is also very dangerous. And that's what's made him a top guy in both the lightweight division and now the welterweight division. But Robbie Lawler is also going to be a considerably bigger guy than Donald Cerrone in this fight. Yeah, and with his new renowned success in the UFC, minus of course the T Wood fight, he's shown that you know he can stand in there with the best guys in the world, the Rory McDonalds, the Stephen Wonder Boys, and have success in there. He never fought Stephen Wonder Boy, did he? Robbie Lawler. I want to say no. Who, who did he? He he took the title from whom? Those, no, not Hendricks. Yeah. Was it Johnny? Y- yeah. It was Johnny. You're right. And since then, defending. Anyways, he's had a really impressive show and since coming back in the UFC. He's been a world beater for a while, and you know, a guy that had maybe the best comeback of all time as a fighter. Yeah, man, for sure. This is really good matchmaking. I mean, th- I think this is just the right matchup he needs to get back in there. And Cerrone himself has had a bit of time off and was able to n- nurse their injuries. You know, g- good fight, good fight. Yeah, most importantly, it's a fight that the fans kind of, it's, it's good for the fans. They've been clamoring over this. It's good that, you know, a lot of times when fights like Donald Cerrone got p- pulled out of 213, a lot of times those fights don't get rescheduled. So we're we're lucky as fans that, you know, UFC saw that this fight meant a lot to the fans and they wanted to put it back on still. Yep. Moving right along, a fight between two top light heavyweight contenders, Jimmy Manawa versus Vulcan Zakazan Ozdemir. Good to see the cousin come back in what is arguably the number one contender's fight for this division. Yeah, both guys have been on a tear. Vulcan has been a little bit more surprising than uh, Jimmy's, but Jimmy Manawa has been on a tear himself nevertheless. Yep, dark horse is the term, I believe. Vulcan has just been going under the radar, derailing people left and right. And... I think this is he finally is getting the fight that he's gonna get to show his skills and let everybody know whether he belongs in the top five of the division. Yeah, both these guys have really impressive striking for light heavyweights with a ton of power as well. Um, I, I know that Jimmy Manoa's gotten two knockouts in his last two fights uh, before losing to Rumble Johnson. I believe Vulcan Ozdemir has gotten all knockout wins since joining the UFC as well. Actually, that's not true. Oh, he beat OSP. He beat OSP by decision, who Jimmy Manuel knocked the fuck out. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) 
Oh, I would probably ain't using that. But yeah, th- this is a good fight. How do you think they match up? Two predominantly good. strikers. <laughs> good. I think they match up good. Yeah. It's a tough one to say, I, to to be honest. I mean, Jimmy Manua has proven that he's got one of the best technical striking, you know, techniques as far as, you know, purely boxing goes in the light heavyweight division. But I think Volkan presents a tough challenge for everybody. I think he's he's one of those fucking guys that you, you, you can't put away. And he keeps coming forward and just continues throwing shit at you. You can't do anything to stop him. I mean... This is going to be arguably the toughest fight for Jimmy Manuel so far in this division. Just in that, I don't think Volkan is, has the type of chin that's going to go away anytime soon. So, yeah, Jimmy's in for a war, dude. I agree. And uh, I don't think he's going to go down as quick as his last opponent. Who who did Jimmy last Corey face? Corey Anderson. Yeah, I think Corey Anderson went down pretty easy in that fight. I think Vulcan's a very athletic light heavyweight with good power. So that's what makes this fight exciting, uh, is Vulcan can surprise anybody with that power, but Jimmy's got the really good technique and really good power as well in his strikes. These are two of the most feared light heavyweights in the division. So here's what I'm what I'm thinking. Pro- providing Jimmy stays technical and maybe doesn't, uh, engage in in brawling with Volkan Izdemir. I I think he can outpoint him and pretty much get a clean victory. But he needs to fight smart. I mean, if if you make any slip ups, if you if you let Volkan Izdemir close the distance on you, you know it's going to be a tough night for him. That's that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm thinking uh, that Jimmy Manuel is going to be able to keep it in boxing range versus Volkan. But mind you, I've picked against Volkan in his last two. And I've been pretty bad with picking against Vulcan in in the, in the previous past. Indeed, I mean, the, so this is a pick 'em fight. I mean, if I had to make a call, I, I I think Jimmy gets it done via more technical striking. But Vulcan Azdemir, as we've seen before, is you know a guy you shouldn't count or, or you shouldn't bet against. Yeah, he's got that kind of power that you shouldn't count him out for sure. Indeed. So, as we said before, thousands of times, and top to bottom, all five fights of this main card are fireworks, and I'm gonna I'm gonna watch every single one of them. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm really excited about it too, man. Anybody looking forward to on the preliminaries at all? Yeah, man. I think Jason Knight, Ricardo Lamas is gonna be a hell of a good fight. Uh, I think we also have Aljo and Barrow there as well, like catchweight. Catch weight, yep. Fine. So. The both of those, I mean, do you want to add anything about those? No, personally, I'm excited to see those fights as you named. Uh, I want to see Brian Ortega versus Hanato Mochiano, who just recently got a win over Jeremy Stevens. That seems like a really fun fight. Uh, Andre Feely returning against a UFC newcomer. It's an interesting preliminary card as well. Exactly. Other than that, on the U.S. Fight Pass portion of things, Kalen Curran is fighting Alexandra Albu. Eric Sheldon is fighting Jared Brooks. And Josh Berkman is opening up the night with a fight against Drew Dober. Yeah, out of those three fights, I would say the one I'm most anticipating is probably Eric Shelton versus the monkey guy, Jared Brooks. 
it's uh two top flyweights, I think, Dima. And I, 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 that's why I'm kind of anticipating that fight. I'm going to try to catch Josh Berkman and Drew Dober just because the, both guys are veterans of the sport and, you know, have been there for a while. This is going to be a good opener. Good call, man. I'm really pumped about this card. Yes. I don't know about you, but I am fired up, man. More so than I've been in a while. For sure, dude. I mean, I've called it a couple of times by now, but this is the SummerSlam of the MMA. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm super stoked for this card. Yeah, definitely not going to miss this one at the Honda Center in Anaheim. And just want to thank everybody for joining us, man. This was a kick-ass episode. Feel good about it. Man, you know, after taking a week off, uh, getting back on the horse and, you know, getting back in there. It's I, good. Well said, Dima. Um, make sure to follow us on Facebook. And uh, you can always catch us on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, MMAPodcast.com, or anywhere the top podcasts are heard. Try to give them an episode next week. Yeah, for sure, because this card we just talked about, I mean, it's going to leave a lot to be said, and we're particularly looking for outcomes for a lot of these fights. So, yeah, the next episode, 23, will primarily be talking about the fallout of UFC 214, and, yeah, we're we're excited to see these fights. Indeed. I'm uh, excited to watch those fights, especially, and talk about them. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. We'll also preview the UFC Fight Night 114 in Mexico, City, Mexico card. Sweet, sweet. All right, guys, check out our new Facebook page, as Jaina has mentioned. And we are going to be back next week. Dima and Jaina, out. <laughs>